All right, well, good morning. Let me invite you to turn in your worship guide to page three. My name is Darren, and I'm the pastor here, and really happy to be with you this morning. I'm going to read the passage that's printed and then invite you to uh, respond as directed below. The reading comes from book of Exodus, chapter 2, verse 11, through chapter 3, verse 9. Would you listen now with open ears? I read from this book that we love. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Reuel, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is the bush not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take off your sandals, off your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, 
the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning and welcome. Great to be with you. We are in our second week of our sermon series from the book of Exodus that we're calling With a Mighty Hand, Becoming Reacquainted with the Power of God. And in this sermon series, my hope and my desire is that for you, wherever you may be, uh, wherever you may consider yourself with respect to uh, your religion, whether you consider yourself a Christian or whether you really don't know what you are, whether you have walked and believed uh, in Jesus Christ a long time, or whether you're here today and you say, I, I'm here simply to honor my family. I have no interest in what's being said or being uh, considered, the scriptures that were read. Wherever you are, my desire and my prayer for you is that you would have a picture more clearly of who God is that we read, that we worshiped, and what he wants you to know about himself. The focus in the book of Exodus, of course, is on God, the powerful one. But the accent in this passage is going to be on God, the personal one. And friends, I wonder if uh, you, where you are here, as I've been thinking, uh, I have four children raising them. Uh, we now have uh, one teen and one tween and then two more on the way. And when you have children that enter this age, right, one of the things you ask and you consider and you pray about is you say, you know, I have tried hard to teach my kids who God is, but, but time is coming for them to own that for themselves, right? If they don't own that for themselves, then all that I've taught won't really matter to them in the long run. And when you get to this stage in your parenting journey, you have to focus a lot on prayer. Uh, you cannot control, you cannot decide. And friends, I was thinking about it because in the same way, if you've been a Christian a long time, chances are high that you may need repeatedly throughout your life to become reacquainted with your God. You see, this book of Exodus records a season in the life of God's people where they had known God's power previously, primarily through a man named Joseph, and they had been saved from famine and they had become comfortable, but then they forgot about God. They forgot about him. They no longer knew him. And then times got rough, and this is often the case for us. Uh, the, the Pharaoh that knew Joseph had died and a new Pharaoh had uh, come in his place, and this Pharaoh was afraid the people of Israel, so he began to uh, oppress them with slavery and with harsh treatment. And after times get tough, it says in verse 23 of chapter 2, during those many days that the king of Egypt died, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. You know, it's interesting because uh, we'd like to think that the oppression towards the people of Israel would have concluded with the death of Pharaoh, right? The king of Israel, king of Egypt, Pharaoh, same person. But after he dies, it continues and arguably gets worse. And so imagine yourself, you know, your average Israelite person, mom, watching her husband, watching her children into forced hard labor, 
mistreated day after day, but Pharaoh is sick. He's not doing so well. He's going to go away. Maybe the next one will stop this harsh treatment, right? Imagine the hope that builds up in you, right? That was their hope. Pharaoh dies, new Pharaoh comes in. It's not stopping. And friends, that is actually the case. I've noticed this in my own life, in my own sort of journey, that I have uh, friends and work colleagues and, and other folks that I've known, and I, there's one person in particular who is, he's really the agnostic's agnostic. He's the atheist's atheist. I'm not sure which one he is currently, but he is the kind of person that throughout the workday and on Facebook about 17 times a day, he's telling you why God doesn't exist, right? Why Christians are ridiculous, um, all, you know, and then interspersed with other political sides of that all the time. But, you know, one day his 12-year-old son was diagnosed with leukemia that was extremely severe. And he went through a process whereby his son was treated at treatment after treatment. And it got to the point where he thought he was going to lose his leg. It was a complication to leukemia. And my friend, my colleague, got on Facebook and he said, would you consider praying for my son? Right? Would you consider? The times got so bad that even the atheist's atheist, the agnostic's agnostic, right, set, a, set that aside for a second. He said, would you please, wherever you are, whatever you think, whatever God you pray to, would you pray for my son? And friends, that is often the case. Right? We often go along in our ignorance of God, whether we attend church, whether we have membership in a church or not, and our MO is often to go along ignorant of God until, guess what? We can't take it anymore. Right? The doctor says the word leukemia. The doctor says You're, we may have to amputate. It's so bad. Right? And oftentimes that that crisis rises to the point in our lives where we begin to pray. We begin to cry out for help. And now, friends, I want to help you remember why Exodus was written. You see, the Bible includes uh, these statements of history, not primarily because God is a historian, although he does appreciate history, right? We love history. A lot of you love history. Why is this here? And the answer is because Exodus is not simply history, but it's God's way of shepherding us when we find ourselves in a season of our lives where we really don't know and understand God's power. We don't, we've lost sight of Him. Now, that being the case, what's the most pressing fact that God seeks to communicate to you today? What is it that He sought to communicate to Israel and we see this very plainly laid out, actually comes out three times in the passage, but I'm going to read to you the most striking one uh, in verse 24. Actually, I'm going to begin the last sentence of verse 23. It says, their cry for rescue came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew and then he will go on in verse in chapter 3 to, to promise deliverance. And friends, I can't overstate for you how important it is that you receive this today. You might think this is obvious and you don't need to know this, but I know from my own life and from my times with you that actually you probably do. 
So I'm going to lay it out to you very plainly. God hears your prayers. He hears your prayers. Do you believe that today? That is, that is the most important fact that he is seeking to communicate to you, that when you cry to him, that when your life reaches the point that you cannot take it anymore, that even the atheist atheist cannot take it anymore, and you cry out, he wants you to be assured that he hears you. Now, when I was a kid, I was a faithful Sunday school attendee of my class, and what's one of the first things you learn in Sunday school if you're a Baptist growing up in the 90s, right? Um, besides the benefit of listening to awesome music, you know, that was a, you know, I feel bad for this generation, but my generation had that as a blessing, okay? So we got that, but we also had good Sunday school. What's the, one of the first things you learn in Sunday school as a Baptist kid, and that is the attributes of God, right? God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. And guess what else we learned? And God is omniscient, which means he knows everything, right? And I remember thinking that, like, there's, God knows everything. I uh, spoke at a men's breakfast yesterday, and there was a really impressive person I was talking to uh, at, at breakfast before we began. And you know, he was asking me where I was from, and I said, I'm from North Jersey. And he said, well, was your area code 201 or 973? And I said, well, it was actually both, right? We said, and, it, and then I said, you know, you must be from New Jersey. And he said, no, I'm just, I just know the area codes. <laughs> no, he really did say that. And I said, do you really? I said, you know, what, what about Washington, D.C.? He knew that one. What about New York City? He's like, well, New York City is 212 and 718. Now, to be fair, he didn't know 646, newly added one. But then he went on to tell me Milwaukee's area code, and Chicago, and San Francisco, and L.A., and it was really impressive. He didn't know Dallas, right? Don't blame him for that one, um, <laughs> right? But it was really impressive. I mean, the amount of area codes that this person knew was really shocking, right? He was filled with all sorts of facts. And you know, when I learned that God is omniscient, right, I sort of thought of him in the same way, right? God knows all the area codes, right? He even knows Dallas, I think. <laughs> he knows all the area codes, he knows all the facts, he knows all the information. He is omniscient. And I imagine that if you're a member of this church or you have been a Christian for some time, you're sitting here and you're saying, you know, I have no problems with this. But the Scripture here wants to actually take this and bring it in a different direction. You see, the Scripture here is not simply talking about God's omniscience, but it's talking about the nature of His knowledge, okay? The nature of His knowledge. And I want to read again this statement. It says that God hears their groaning. And then in verse 25, it says, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Now, some of you have heard me say this before, but for those of you who haven't, I'll tell the story. Uh, probably the most life-changing event in my life, probably number one, uh, was when Christy and I were engaged to be married. I was out of work, went to work for the 9-11 recovery effort. We had a plane crash in Queens. We set up uh, help for victims, and we were working through the night to bring computers online. We were yelling at each other. It was very unpleasant. 
10 a.m., they open the doors, and there was probably a thousand people that come in the doors, and they are in absolute shock and absolute grief, and they are crying out such like I had never heard before. And I remember I went home, I saw Chrissy, and I just wept. And I thought, you know, I've seen pictures like this on news growing up all the time, but there was something about hearing it in person that has forever changed me. I cry at movies now, which is weird, right? All stems back to that one experience, right? Because I wasn't simply aware that suffering exists, but I heard it with my own ears. Those of you who have had work it's taken you into the depth of human brokenness. You know exactly what I'm talking about. If, if you don't know what that is, probably will experience it one day. But when you hear it with your own ears, when you see the people collapsing before you out of unbelievable shock, pleading to know if their DNA sample will show that their loved one might have possibly survived, though no one did that day. Zero people survived. Right? It changes you. And friends, I think that's the sense in which uh, the Scripture is speaking here where it says, God heard their groaning and He saw them and He knew them. Now, why do I say that? You see, this word know is not awareness. It's the word that communicates a depth of intimacy. So it's the same word used in the opening chapters of Genesis where it says, Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore a son. And just so you're aware, children are not conceived out of pure awareness. There is other things required, right? There is an intimacy required. And what the Scripture is going on to say that there is a depth of intimacy that exists between God and His people who are suffering. And friends, I want to just quote for you a couple of statements. The Scripture will repeat this so many times I had to actually limit it. So, for example, Psalm 34, 17 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their trouble. 1 Peter 3, 12, For the eyes are on the Lord, are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. 1 John chapter 5, And this is the confidence we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Right? Or 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And friends, I was considering this and actually practicing this myself. You see, one of the reasons that I have been prayerless in my life, in my journey, is because I do not believe that God is listening in, in seeing in the same way that I saw those people that came in and my heart was broken. There's a, a story in the scripture of a woman named Hagar, and Hagar was an abuse victim, okay, right? Uh, Abraham and Sarai want to have a child. God promises them a child. Instead of waiting on him, they take matters into their own hands, and Sarai gives Hagar to her husband. Uh, she's a, a slave of uh, Sarai's. They conceive, have a child, after uh, Hagar gets pregnant, Sarai sort of regrets her decision. She has second thoughts, and she starts oppressing her, right? She starts mistreating her, and Hagar runs from this family, and she flees. And in the wilderness, the Lord meets her, and guess what he says to her? 
I've heard you. I've heard you, and I am going to bless your son. And you know what she says at that point? She names this place, uh, the Hebrew word for seeing, because she says, you are a God of seeing. That's who you are. You are a God of seeing. I am seen by you. And she actually goes back to this family that's mistreating her. And she says, you know what? I can, I can endure this because I know that my God sees me. But in the same way, friends, if you were, um, now I'm not recommending, by the way, that you do that, follow her lead. That was uh, unique to her. But, but if you are called to go through a season that you cannot fathom how you would get through, one resource that you might need to have is to know that God sees you, right? Not that he's simply aware of you, like my friend was aware of the area code of Milwaukee, but that he sees you personally, right? That he feels the weight of your groaning. That's what Moses is so eager to communicate here, because he says it, he'll say it three separate times, um, and he wants you to know and to understand that today. Now, what do we do with that? I wonder, what do we do with that? Well, friends, as, as we go about our lives, as we consider the things that keep us awake at night, I wonder if you could bring them to the Lord in such a way that you understand that He's sitting there listening, that He's sitting there hearing, and that He will answer. You know, I was thinking about what it might have been like to be uh, a slave in Egypt during this time. And, you know, it's interesting because God says to Moses in chapter 2 of this book, He says, I have seen, I know, I've heard. And then in chapter 3, He says, and I will deliver. But, you know, it's going to be a fairly lengthy time between that statement and when Israel is partying on the, de- on the banks of the Jordan, watching the carcasses of the Egyptian military float by, right? We're going to get to that epic event, right? They throw this massive party as the carcasses are just floating by of the most powerful military of the time. And they say, our God did that, complete deliverance. But it's going to be a while, right? And in the same way, as we bring our requests to the Lord, as we are called to wait upon Him, wait for Him to hear, we continue to go through those things that we are experiencing, not seeing the deliverance. Egypt did not see the deliverance immediately. It took some time. What Moses wants his folks to understand, what he wants you to understand, is that God always hears you. He always hears you. He always knows you. He always looks down, and your groaning reaches him. Uh, One of my favorite passages is in uh, the book of Romans, in chapter 8. It says, you know, we groan inwardly as we await the adoption of our bodies as sons. And not only this, it will go on to say, but the Spirit of God intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. And if you put those statements together, what you see is that sometimes when you are crying out, when you are groaning, when you are like my friend with his son with leukemia, and you are using every resource you have to cry out, if you're in Christ, what letter of Romans is saying, that might be the Spirit praying through you, right? The Spirit is the one that, that cries out with groanings too deep 
for words. And so, friends, as we become acquainted with God's power, what the Scripture wants us to know is that that power is always promised. Sometimes we wait for it, but it is wielded not in an abstract way, but in a personal way. And I want to lay before you this exhortation as we go forth from here, as we go about our lives, there are things I know, there was a massive reaction last week to this question of fear. There are fears in your head, there are anxieties in your bodies that are keeping you awake at night, there are concerns you have, and chances are high that if you're like me, that for most of you at the time, that you are prayerless about those things for one reason or another. And God is inviting you to bring them to Him personally, to groan to Him knowing that He hears, knowing that He cares, knowing that He's watching, and being assured that He will deliver. But see, as, we, uh, as I give that exhortation, we prepare to come to this table, and at this table, it records for us one person for whom that was not true. Right, the Lord Jesus comes to earth. He lives a perfect life. He's, he is never prayerless. In fact, after a hard day at work, he'll stay up all night praying. Right? He was a model citizen, we might say. But the Scripture says that he cried out with loud cries and tears, that he groaned like no one's ever groaned before. But on the cross, the Father turns his face away from him. The Father looks on His groaning. He's looking down at heaven. He's hearing His cries. And Jesus says, I've been forsaken. Why have you forsaken me? Of course, the Scripture will go on to explain to us that the Father was putting on His Son the sins of the whole world, including your sins that you committed this morning. He was placing on Christ he was forsaking Christ because Darren has sinned all weekend, all week, all my life. He was saying to Jesus, I'm going to forsake you. I'm going to ignore your groaning. I'm going to turn away from it so that Ironworks Church, so that you, your children, your family can have a guarantee that God will hear you so that you can be 100% assured that when you cry to Him, He will hear your cry. And so friends, if you're a Christian here today, I'm going to invite you to come forward. I'm going to invite you to this meal. And I hope that you will join me in tasting in this and seeing that Jesus Christ said, I will be forsaken so that you can be forgiven. I will be broken so that you will be healed. I will have my groaning go unanswered, unseen, unheard, so that you can always be heard, that you will always be seen by God, that you will be treated as His most special Son. I will give that to you. And friends, I hope that as you experience that at this table, that it would reacquaint you with the God who hears, the God who sees, the God who remembers, and then the God who delivers. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord Jesus, we praise You, and I pray that You would reveal Yourself to us today as the one who sees, the one who hears, the one who knows, and the one who delivers. For we ask it in your name. Amen.